the Apostle Peter wrote that some of the things that Paul had written in the scriptures were hard to understand. And if they were hard to understand for Peter, I think it's fair to say they're hard to understand for us. I could not help but think of that one whenever I come to Romans chapter 11. He, is, um, he spent the first, eight, uh, first seven chapters dealing with the fact that we are all sinners, both the Jews and the Gentiles. And then chapter eight, incredible, wonderful news from God that we are, we are saved. We are justified, we are glorified because of Christ and that God will not let us be separated from him ever by anything, which is wonderful, wonderful news. Then we started having to deal with the case study, as I called it, in chapter 9 and 10, where we got to learn how to get along, Jew and Gentile, and how they were still, the, the Jews were beloved of God, but so were the Gentiles. And he's going to get into it again in chapter 11. Now, one of our issues here is that he's going to make a lot of allusions to different stories. He is going to quote out of Psalms, Isaiah, First uh, Kings, um, Deuteronomy, and that's just getting started. If you don't know your Old Testament, it makes it very difficult. And I know that some of us uh, know the stories of the heroes, and we know a little bit of the flow, but we get upset at some things in the Old Testament, like slavery and the mistreatment of women and um, those passages that seem to indicate it's all right to go ahead and kill everybody. That, that's a problem, uh, I'll, I'll grant you. We'll talk about that on especially Monday morning messages starting in January, all right? But for now, it's the middle of December, and just to remind you, even though I'm a huge Christmas nut, love it to pieces, we will all always post your videos here, the three videos you, you are used to, Sunday morning, Monday morning, and Wednesday, uh, as, as usual. We're not taking a break. We're pre-recording these so that you can make sure that you have them. All right. Chapter 11, verse 1, well, then did God reject his people? By no means. And then Paul goes on, I'm an Israelite. I come from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a descendant of Abraham. And then he talks, he tells us about Elijah. Elijah, well, he's kind of like a John Wayne character. Uh, just really, really dramatic stuff in his story. But his, his mission work had very little long-term effect, which is a shock. You know, as big and as superhero as he, he did things, to have very little effect outlive him and Elisha, that's, that's maybe showing us why the love of Christ lasts for millennia. But anyway, there was a time where Elijah thought God was not going to back him up and that he was about done, so he was hiding in a cave. And when God asked him, why are you hiding in a cave? He said, listen, I'm I'm your only friend left, God. I'm the only one in Israel that has not bowed the knee to Baal. And God goes, I've got 7,000 others. Now that doesn't mean 7,000 the way we would do it. We use numbers with precision to represent integers or entities. They did not. Uh, seven means complete. Thousand was the biggest number that they had. And so if they wanted to go bigger, they would sometimes um, multiply it by saying thousands upon thousands and ten thousands upon ten thousands. That was just their way of saying it, it's really big. Or you could do it this way, seven thousand. In other words, I've got all I need and a lot of them, Elijah. Well, the Israelites, Paul says, 
are acting as if they're the only friends God has. And that with, you know, if you don't want to bring the Gentiles in because they're not the friends of God. We are the ones that had the law and we are the friends of God. And Paul's saying, no, that was never true. You are the friends of God and you are the called of God and you are the children of Abraham and that's all wonderful and great blessing stuff. It really is. It's not going away. God's not bringing in the Gentiles and booting out the Jews. But he's not going to keep the Gentiles out either because God has a lot of friends. I, I love that passage, it, um, very enigmatic, where Jesus says, my father has sheep in other fields. That's pretty cool. He doesn't explain it, but we can kind of figure out that we shouldn't act like we're the only ones on the block that are working for Jesus. So he says in verse seven, what they tried to obtain Israel so earnestly to get, they didn't get because they became hardened. And, and these are very difficult verses because he will, he will quote Deuteronomy and um, Isaiah, and they'll, then he'll quote one of the Psalms with David, all of them saying, because they wouldn't listen, God wouldn't let them listen. And because they would not, would not speak and, and do right, he hardened their hearts so that they wouldn't. Now, does that mean that God is responsible for their sin? Oh, no. What it means is, remember Romans 1, he gave them over to it. Oh, that's what you want? This is how you want to be? All right, then. I grant you your wish. God's not a genie, but you get the point. If you're saying, I want to do it on my own, I want to do it on my own. Really? Okay. That, that's tragic. In fact, the greatest curse, in, in my opinion, the greatest curse in scripture is not that God will smite you, but that God will withdraw his hand. Eh, you don't want that. So, verse 11, he's asking about Israel. Now, so I ask again, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. In fact, he goes on, their stumbling led to the salvation of the Gentiles. Now here's where Paul's thoughts go many layered and deep. And I would advise you to, to, uh, to take a course on Romans from a reputable university that isn't trying to push something. You know, we, we have Lipscomb University here in Nashville. There's Harding University in Searcy, Arkansas. There's Lubbock Christian uh, University uh, in Lubbock. You know, who would have thought? Abilene Christian. There are a lot of those that are hooked into the Churches of Christ, but there are a ton of good theological schools out there that let you audit a class in Romans. And uh, you would spend a lot of time in chapter 11, time that's well spent, but we don't have that time since we're doing a survey of the entire New Testament. So, here's the point. Israelites fell, and that stumbling gave room to the Gentiles coming in. Now, uh, now the Gentiles can be a part. Because, why? How? Well, because they stumbled, but God was not going to leave Israel. So he sent his son. But Jesus did not die just for Israel. He made it very plain that he also died for the entire world, whosoever will may come. So, because Jesus came to save Israel, the Gentiles are also saved. You see how this works? Would we have phrased it differently in the way we use language today? Yes, but we can still get the meaning, all right? 
And then he turns to the, um, well, first of all, he promises to the Jews, you were given riches, and now that the Gentiles are coming in, you'll receive even more riches. One of the great things in life is hanging around people who aren't like you. Maybe their skin's a different color, or maybe they're from a different culture, or they like different music. Um, perhaps they, um, they have a different religion. But it's, it's wonderful to hang around these people and to hear and to learn and to think new things. You know, we're always facing on Christ. I'm not walking away from him, but I want to hear. I want to, I want to hear. And I do. Uh, I get around. <laughs> and uh, sometimes when I don't get around fast enough, I get emails and calls. Regardless, my life is enriched by learning other things and by changing my mind. I've changed my mind a lot, and I don't think I'm done. I'm still, the time that you're watching this, December 15th, if you're watching it on the day it's released, that's the day before I turn 65. And I don't know if I have years left, and if I do, how many they might be, but I sure hope I keep changing my mind, because that means I'm still learning. I'm still asking, seeking, and knocking. And I invite you to do the same. Well, this is where I had to learn it by seeing it. There was a gentleman in Appalachia. When I was a boy, I got to help him with this because my dad wanted me to. And my dad was helping, I think, doing the same thing. And that is to graft branches from one fruit tree into another. Sometimes it was from a weaker tree or a tree that was gonna to have to be cut down and put it onto a strong tree. And if you don't, if you've never seen this, it's quite fascinating. They actually cut a little bit of the, the tree and they insert this branch from another tree. And then at least this fellow bound it up to keep bugs out and to keep um, you know, the sap or something going. He had a couple of trees that bore both apples and pears because of the way he grafted. I don't know what the limits for this are, um, but I do know it was fascinating to watch. Some of the grafts took, in other words, they became part of the tree. Some did not. So now he turned, Paul turns to the Gentiles and warns them. He says, now listen, don't get above yourselves because you are branches grafted onto this tree of the Jews. God's not throwing out the Jews. He's adding you Gentiles to the family of God, which is now Jew and Gentile. And if you don't know, Gentile just means not a Jew. So you're either a Jew or a Gentile, right? And so when he says Jews and Gentiles, he means everybody. When Jesus says whosoever will may come, he means it. He's not kidding. So he, verse 17 forward says, don't, don't consider yourself superior to the tree. You are part of it now, but by grace, you didn't do it. You were adopted. You were grafted in. You are, um, and, and he goes, yeah, true, true. Some of the branches on that tree were broken off because of unbelief. But some of your branches can get broken off for the same reason. So stick with the tree, work with the tree. And then verse 22, consider the sternness and kindness, uh, the kindness and sternness of God. I still kind of like the older, scarier versions that said the goodness and severity of God. Now, severity is a, a word that has come to mean a, um, 
a particular thing in English, and that, and that is you know, over-the-top kind of punishment, a lot of pain. Severity in the English language until about the end of the 1800s also would refer to the way one looks. And so there would be that, look, now I can't crunch my eyebrows because I don't have eyebrows. And now that I've said that, you'll not notice anything but the fact that I have no eyebrows. Uh, I don't pluck them. For some reason, I went bald on my forehead. How's that? So, but a severe look is one like this. So it, Paul is saying, if I may be skating the edge of reverence, God can have a happy face and God can have a sad face. We like the happy face. So how do you, how do you keep how do you keep the happy face going? Well, according to most churches, it is you must do their liturgy, um, written or not, follow their traditions, written or not. You must get in line and believe these things, worship like this, organize like this, act like this. Paul says, no, no. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you. Here it is, you ready? provided that you continue in his kindness. Be kind. This was a golden opportunity for Paul to make a shopping list of the behaviors and worship um, forms that you must stay in to please God. But Paul didn't believe that. He said, get in the same group with each other and be kind. Be kind. Otherwise, he says, you'll be cut off. Uh, however, if you don't persist in your unbelief, but you act like God wants you to act, you will be, you know, you used to be wild. You olive trees out there were wild. Well, now you will become part of his orchard. And by the way, that was one of the Jews' complaints against the Gentiles. The Jews had a way of of learning that was sitting quietly and being read scripture and in a very orderly way going about their worship and their days. Now to them, Gentiles looked crazy because they would just interrupt. They would just ask questions. They would bump into you. They, would, they were not orderly and that offended the Jews, but it also frightened them. And so Paul here is kind of making a call to that by saying, you guys are wild by nature. And it's contrary to your nature to be grafted on this cultivated olive tree. But you are. But don't mess with the tree. Because if God's going to let you thrive on the tree, how much more will the natural branches thrive? And then he says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers. <clears throat> Here's, here's a place where the old King James didn't do us any good, where it said, I wouldn't have you ignorant, brethren. And of course, there is no punctuation in the original text or in the early copies. Punctuation is kind of a late comer to writing. So um, we always do a comma in there, as I believe we were supposed to. I wouldn't have you ignorant, brethren, is a British English way of saying, I don't want you to be without knowledge. I want you to understand this, but the way it was preached by some preachers that I heard is like, I wouldn't have you ignorant brethren. Well, the NIV goes over the top trying to smooth that one down. 
I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters. So, the, and by the way, the brothers and sisters thing, just to let you know, there are no manuscripts that say, and sisters. Why then does the NIV insist on, on putting it in and other good versions? Because the word for brethren was a word that meant also included women. And in the laws of language back in those days, you could have a hundred women in a room, but if there was one man there, you referred to the group in male terms. Was that sexist? Of course it was. Is language changing? Of course it is. I grew up with actors and actress, a waiter, a waitress, a comedian, a comedienne. We don't use those other words anymore. We don't use those gender specific terms. It's the server instead of a waiter. Uh, and you, you see how, what I mean. So the NIV is just trying to give you the gist of what was meant, even though it's not a word for word. In fact, if you ever see word for word translations, it, they're hard to read because language just doesn't work that well to go word to word. If you, if you doubt me, try Google Translate with some two languages that you know. It's hilarious. Um, so don't want you to be ignorant so that you don't become conceited. I don't want you to get puffed up. Israel has received a hardening in part. In other words, the Jews that would not listen, God has just left them and said, all right, uh, left them to their own decision. God doesn't leave, but he's just saying, all right, if you don't want to listen, you're not going to listen. You're not going to hear. And Paul says, that is true, that many of them have hardened and they, they did not accept Christ. However, he says, they will. Yeah. He goes, Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. That phrase, full number of, means a certain number in God's head. We don't know what it is. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. Now, <clears throat> does that mean every Jew will be saved? It might. I've heard a lot of people trying to spiritualize this and say all Israel, all those who wrestle with God, but the non-wrestlers, no. I don't know that I can say that. I think it's really safest here just to say, Paul said all Israel will be saved and then to trust God. I really, I don't think it's up for us to decide who's in and out of heaven and what God will do. I did, especially whenever a statement like this is made. Um, down in verse 28, as far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs for God's gift and his call are irrevocable. What? What? All right. But the good news came, the fact is that the majority of Jews rejected it. He's saying, I get that. However, while that, you, you now think they're your enemy because they do not believe in Jesus. Please remember, God picked the Jews and his promises are not irrevocable. They cannot be undone. There is no room in Christianity for anti-Semitism. There's no room in Christianity for um, racism of any form. Uh, there's no room in Christianity for us to draw lines excluding others. 
That is not our job. Our job is to be kind. And when people ask us why, we can tell them about Jesus. No, it's hard because we'd much rather be the judging force, wouldn't we? I know, and I'm saying we, I'm in there. Of course I am. Just as you who are at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience. And again, Jesus came to save them, but saving them means he also saves the rest. Uh, now you, they will receive mercy because you're receiving mercy. God's gonna lavish mercy upon us. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. That's a weird sentence. That's verse 32. It really is. There are a lot of guesses. In fact, there are a couple almost book-length articles on what this might mean. I just think it means we're just, we're bound to be disobedient. I don't, that's not what it means. But I'm going to use that word since we know it in, in another, with another meaning. Um, did you have to teach, did you have kids? Did you have to teach your two-year-old how to be selfish? Did you have to teach your three-year-old how to be demanding? Say, no, no, kid, you're just being way too passive and kind. We need you to learn how to be selfish and throw a fit every now and then. No, no, it's natural. And you don't outgrow it. I remember one time I was in a library and the kid fell down on the floor and just squalled and kicked. And the harried poor mama looked at me and she goes, he's just going through a phase. And I looked at her and I said, so are we all. On airplanes, I've heard kids cry and scream and you see the businessmen in particular, just, oh, I should keep that kid quiet. And I looked at one a few years back and I said, brother, they're just doing outside what we're all doing inside. We are disobedient. Sometimes the disobedient doesn't leak out of our bodies and actually happen, but it's still there. So Paul says, God's gonna have mercy on us all. Mercy on us all, we should be dancing in the streets. And so he says, oh, the depths and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Isaiah 40 and verse 13. Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? That's Job, Job 41.11. Um, for him, for from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So we have another therefore. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, what's it there for? We've just done all that. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I was in worship once where we had some visitors, and the song leaders um, led that song that has in there, you changed our morning into dancing, and the visitors hopped into the aisle and started dancing. Well, several of our members Faces went red and nervous glances, a little scooting away because our, our worship were, was always quite the unemotional affair. Uh, and I, by the way, kudos, one, one of my most conservative leaders in that church that I thought might blow a gasket instead 
walked over and, and stood with them and afterwards invited them to lunch and became friends. I mean, once again, I judged and was completely wrong. That happens a lot. It, it, being a shrink doesn't mean you're a better judge, just means you're more professional at it. Uh, so, and I'm ex-shrinking, I got better. What is your, what is your, what is your role? What is, what is your job in worship? No. Be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. You know, the problem with the living sacrifice is it keeps crawling off the altar. You're going to have to continually turn around and come back on. Turn around and come back on. It's a struggle. It is. So how, how do we do this? Well, verse 2, don't conform to the world. Instead, don't the pattern of the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, in 1 Corinthians 5 and elsewhere, we've seen some of that renewal, where now we don't look upon other people with worldly eyes. We don't do the worldly judging. We leave the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we instead embrace the tree of life. We embrace Jesus. Then, only then, he says, will you be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I, I Not so much anymore, but um, especially back when I had a counseling practice, I had people would come in from time to time and say, I, I just like to know what the will of God is for my life. And I would lean in and say, why? Normally, they would freeze up about that time because they thought they were asking a really good spiritual question. And it's not a bad question. But I'd say, why do you want to know that? And they'd stumble around a bit, and I said, let me, let me help you. What I mean by that is, you already know the will of God is to love God and love everybody you meet as much as you love yourself. You already know that the love of God is to be kind and a living sacrifice for Almighty God. Why do you need more work than that? Now, normally what they mean is, should I marry this woman or that woman? Or, you know, I don't know why they even ask, because the woman, the woman gets to decide. Uh, or um, should I take this job or that job? These are important questions. Life-changing. Uh, they, have, they have consequences for generations, maybe. So it's, uh, it's certainly appropriate to ask God what he wants you to do. But I always want to ground them first in, remember the basis. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Remember to be kind. Remember to be a living sacrifice. Now with all of these things factored in, let's look at your decision. Next verse, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. As C.S. Lewis said, it is very hard to look up to heaven when you're looking down your nose at other people. He, he knew how to turn a phrase. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now here's where I need to um, just say. So I, I get a few of these every month or so. Somebody will say, Patrick, you, you cut your yourself down too much. Your humor has too much self-deprecation and getting a little old. Okay. But the fact remains that if I 
don't let you know of my struggles, you will have a very false sense of who I am. And um, you may not be there when I fall, because I will fall. I will disappoint you. I will break your heart, just like you're going to fall and you're going to break my heart. But if you don't know that I struggle along with you, how can I help you? How can you come to me and say, Patrick, I'm really struggling with this, if you think Patrick's never struggled with anything? So I want to be open and let you know it's safe for you to be open in return. All right? So what's going on here? Just be realistic about who you are. All right? For just as each of us has one body with many, many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We belong to each other. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Now, we did this way back when we did 1 Corinthians 12, and I'd, I'd ask you to go back and look at 1 Corinthians 12 because we talked there about vestigial organs, and that applies here too. There are no vestigial organs in our bodies and certainly not in our churches. Everybody is there and useful and valuable. I mean, not everybody gets the glamour jobs. I'll grant you that. We're not, I'm not going to talk about whether they're really glamorous. We all know what I'm talking about. Some of, some of us get the picking the bulletins up and the, the cleaning up the crackers after the, the kids have eaten them during worship. And that's our job. But friends, that's got to be done. God bless everybody who does it. I've done it many times. Cleaning toilets, it's got to be done. I loved Mike Rowe's old series, Dirty Jobs. One of the best ever. And he was the best guy to do it. I mean, he was perfectly suited for this. Everybody is here for a purpose. Everybody has a reason. Um, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. The word prophesy here is almost never used to speak of the future. It is about the ability to speak in public about Christ. And that's a gift. You may want it and not have it. You may not want it and have it. But God gives gifts out as he chooses. Everybody gets at least one. Nobody has them all. Nobody has most of them. That's why it's a, Christianity is a team sport, all right? Uh, if it is serving, then serve. I know some great and wonderful servants. It just amazes me. They love doing it. Things that, to be honest, I might resent doing, they leap to do. They have a gift. Well, we better honor them. We better make sure we notice and we encourage them. If it's teaching, then teach. You ever had a great teacher? Miss Boswell, when I was a sophomore in high school and a junior in high school, Miss Boswell. She was a, a, a strange looking creature to us. Tall, extremely skinny white woman, um, short uh, salt and pepper hair, glasses that weren't fashionable. And as she walked about, I, I, was, I was a teenager. You think more of a stork or an ostrich or something 
than you do of a woman. But then she taught us love of words. She made words come alive and she made words have meaning. And within a few weeks, that was a class I could not wait to get into. She even made William Shakespeare's plays, which before that time were, you know, I hated him. Every word crystallized, had meaning and nuance. She could make it come alive and make you love it like she did. What a great teacher. By the way, I've tried for 30 something years to find her and thank her. Can't find any trace. But I'll, I'll see her one day in heaven and I'll, so I'll tell her thank you. Because of you, Miss Boswell, uh, I was able to preach. I was able to teach. Have you ever had a bad teacher? <laughs> we all have. We all have. If you're gifted at teaching, teach. I'm here because of old women with white hair in damp church basements who taught me about Jesus. The sermons didn't do it. It was the stories and it was their personal attention. And I knew they loved me and they loved everybody else in the room. So if you're teaching, teach. We did a lot of this on, in 1 Corinthians 12. Um, if it is to encourage, give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. I've had people teach me how to be a generous giver because I wasn't probably for 30, 35 years before I, I met some people that I saw their joy in giving and I learned how to give through them, from them. If it is to lead, do it diligently. Is If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Not, okay, you're forgiven. But of course you're forgiven. I, you know that Again, the parable of the loving father slash prodigal son, run to them. Don't let them finish their speech. You know something missing here? There's no mention of judging, discerning right from wrong. It's God's job. Don't do his job. He doesn't like that. I've been married 42 years. I, I really do try to put things in the dishwasher the way my wife wants it, but there always, always is one or two things. She'll open dishwasher and go, <laughs> and she's a delightful lady, so it's all right. I, uh, I you know, I, so instead I, t I ask her, all right, how do I do this? How do I do that? And I've learned there's certain things in the house that she wants to do because she thinks, well, she knows. My standards might not be up to it. Let her do her job and she lets me do my job and it works really well. You do your job, let God be the decider and the judger. You do your job. And then we'll wrap this up here in the next five minutes. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. I love that, cling. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, be patient in affliction, be faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. 
Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. There's a little bit of hyperbole there, Paul. Nobody's going to agree upon everything. There are people that if they saw Jesus walking on water would say, look at him, he can't even swim. Or if you said, I really love my dog, say, what an evil cat-hating person. You're always going to find those people. So let's just say, be, do what is right in the eyes of sane people and show mercy to those who aren't. <laughs> if it is possible, by the way, there's a reason God didn't have me write the Bible, um, right? If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. Now that's a very important verse. I have friends that are pacifists. I'm not a pacifist. As far as it is possible, and as much as it lies within me, I will live at peace with all people. I do not have any enemies, but I do have people in my life that think I am their enemy, but they're not mine. Is there some situation out there, some scenario in which I might uh, actually become violent? Yeah, yeah, there is. But Paul warns us, be careful here. If it's possible, be peaceful. And as much as it lies with you, or as much as it lies in you, some versions say, as much as it depends on you, as it says here, live at peace with everyone. Do whatever you can do to be at peace with somebody, but do not trade away your life, the life of your family. Do not trade away their safety, their dignity. There are limits. Paul knows their limits. But, um, and when we get to Acts, you'll see how he actually worked within some of those situations, all right? Uh, don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Let me just be very firm here. We're not doing good so that they'll really be ashamed of themselves. No, just keep doing good until they wake up and realize, oh my goodness, what have I done? Last line, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. I uh, posted a couple of years ago, right before my father died, uh, a statement I'd put on his door saying, uh, you know, this is Bill Mead. I need you to know I was a husband, a father, and I just told his story down. And it got many thousands of retweets. Hollywood celebs were retweeted. You know, I'm, that's the only one I've ever had that went like that. Uh, but there was a guy that wrote in, yeah, oh, he was you this, that, you know, my father's dying of Alzheimer's, but you'll always find the trolls coming out. I didn't respond the way you thought it would. I just put, you seem nice. That was my response. He went on again and again. We should have coffee sometime. I was very insincere because I don't drink coffee. I was just not going to answer him evil for evil. So he blocked me which is okay, because I didn't even know him. So um, anyway, I hope you've enjoyed today. Middle of December, Christmas is coming, New Year's around the bend. I pray that you're having a great time. I pray that you have time with family, with your God. Please continue to tune in. Give when you can. Hit like and subscribe and tell people about this.
because we want people to know Jesus and know about the love and grace and mercy of God and that it's never going away. God bless you. Have a wonderful week and I'll see you next time.